Thank you. First Timothy chapter 5 this evening once again. First Timothy chapter number five. And let's go ahead and stand. And we're going to begin in verse number 22. First Timothy five, beginning in verse 22 to the end of the chapter, lay hands suddenly on no man. Neither be partakers of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. And let's pray. Father, I pray for your help this evening, particularly with this passage, that you would help me to understand it properly and to present it accurately and truthfully, that we as your church would be instructed in wise conduct within our own assembly, and I pray this help in Jesus' name, amen. And you may, of course, be seated. Well, we know by now that God had sent Timothy through the ministry of Paul to Ephesus to address problems within the congregation. And I don't think all of those problems, we've kind of talked about that, are concentrated in the leadership, but certainly many of those problems are. Paul had anticipated this in Acts chapter 20. When he met with the elders, he said, out of your own selves will arise problems. I think there's some merit for considering that some of these younger widows are contributing to the conflict in Ephesus, but that's neither here nor there. God has worked it so that Paul has sent Timothy to Ephesus as he sends Titus to Crete with the intention of bringing the church back on track. And so after talking about some of the issues and some of the problems, in chapter 5, what to us is chapter 5, Paul begins to apply the concept of sound doctrine, which is really the major theme of the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, sound doctrine in the assembly, to various groups of people, and a large segment of that is addressed to the pastors themselves. And so we have seen in verses 17 and 18 how to honor elders, and we have seen how to rebuke elders, how to correct elders, And in this passage that we have this evening, verses 22 through 25, we have how to choose them, 
or I think more specifically, what we call ordination, the, the public approval of those who would be elders. And this is a pattern, by the way, that continues on into this very day, that it is almost always the norm that a young man who is seeking to enter into public ministry is brought before a group of his peers, of other pastors, to present his views and explain his position. And then, of course, he is going to be recommended, we would hope, by a church and well-received by a church, and so that his own personal call, his adherence to the Word of God and the approval of God's people are going to work together to demonstrate his worthiness for the office. The qualifications these men must meet are established, of course, in 1 Timothy 3, and we will come back to that just briefly a little bit later. So 17 and 18, their honor, 19 through 21, their correction, and this part is their selection. It is part of the, I don't want to say the challenge, but as we are attempting to understand the entire meaning of the paragraph, because that's what we're trying to do. One of the challenges that we face is the role of verse number 23 in the paragraph. And we'll come back to that, and we will talk about that. But again, were you to, were you to go to the commentaries, you would, depending upon who you read and how many you read, you would find a variety of explanations for the presence of verse number 23. <clears throat> And here's what I'm getting at, okay? Because just just to cut to the chase, I'm going to come back to this. I'm convinced that verse 23 is exactly where it ought to be and that it has a reason for being there that is part of Paul's argument, right? Some people reject that. They reject the idea that verse number 23 has anything to do with verses 22, 24, or 25. And I'll talk about that and come back to that again at the very end. But, but just for the sake of our dealing with it, let's do this. Let's read verse 22 and then jump down to verses 24 and 25. And we will come back to verse 23 at a later time. And my point is simply this, is that if the text read that way, if what we had was verse 22, verse 24, verse 25, we probably wouldn't wonder why verse 23 wasn't there. We wouldn't lose our train of thought. We wouldn't think, Paul missed something somewhere. Right? His argument goes like this, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins, keep thyself pure. Some men's sins are open beforehand going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. So in verse number 22, Paul is talking about sins. He is talking about the sins of other men. And in verse number 24, he is talking about sin. 
He's talking about the sin of other men. But verse number 23 isn't about sin or other men at all. It is a personal word to Timothy. So again, we're going to come back to that. And I'm convinced that it has a lot to do with what is going on in Ephesus. And there's a reason that it is placed here. But including verse number 23 in the flow, because it is one paragraph that all fits together, what is the main point that Paul is making? This is what I just want to address at the outset. What is Paul saying to Timothy? He said to Timothy, look, elders need to be honored, and they need to be honored in a twofold way. They need to be paid, and they need to be respected. And, And elders need to be corrected, and they need to be corrected in a biblical way. There needs to be an adequate number of witnesses who can bear testimony to their sin. They need perhaps to be rebuked publicly. They need to be addressed. And and this should be done with impartiality. They don't get a pass for their conduct. And what is he saying here? And what he's saying here is, folks, the main point, the point that is driving all of the rest of the paragraph is this. Is that Timothy should move slowly when it comes to the matter of ordaining elders. That Timothy should move slowly Right? It's right there in verse number 22. It is the main thought of the paragraph. Lay hands suddenly on no man. Do not do this quickly. And again, many, if not all, but at least many of the problems in Ephesus are problems that are being perpetuated by those who are the elders. The elders, when it comes to the church in Ephesus, are the main troublemakers. And Timothy has been sent there to address the trouble. And one of the ways he's going to have to address the trouble is by removing and replacing those who are causing the trouble. Move with caution. Proceed with caution. Now there are a couple, and I'm just going to mention this just again um, because it's out there, and if you're looking at this, there are a couple of major views about what's going on in verses 22 through 25. One of them is that Paul is instructing Timothy in the restoration of elders who had sinned, and that follows contextually, right? Elders that sin, rebuke before all, receive two or three witnesses, And if they keep on sinning, then rebuke them publicly. And this is the mode for restoring them, is to lay your hands on them again. Okay. The second is either about the replacement of or the ordination of new. And I, I tend to think that's probably where Timothy is going. But we really need not fight about that because the principles are going to be the same whatever it is that he is addressing. The command is to move slowly when laying hands. To move slowly. To not be in a rush to do this. To not be in a hurry to get this done. To move slowly. We of course understand that the whole idea of laying on of hands is rooted in the Old Testament. That it is a public symbolic recognition of identification. Of union in some way. Um, And that this was something that was done on the Day of Atonement, that hands were laid on the actual animal sacrifice, 
as a symbolic gesture of union. This is done rather formally. It is done publicly. Um, And it is simply a declaration, in this case, about the acceptance of the one being put into the office. It doesn't alter the man's character in any way. It doesn't make him special. It doesn't make him some class of people, which if you remember much from your world history, um, uh, this was a real problem. It was a problem, folks, in the days of the Reformation, particularly the English Reformation, um, the notion that the clergy were a unique special class of people who were entitled to special treatment and wore special clothing and ministers made a big deal out of that so that today uh, the pastor is indistinguishable in most Protestant churches from any other church member um, in the way that he dresses. He doesn't have any kind of a special garb or robe or uniform unlike uh, the more liturgical traditions would do. So Right? So there's, there's nothing about the ordination here. Paul is not suggesting that Timothy somehow through this act of laying on of hands is going to confer upon the man some uniqueness of character or some special attribute. It is just simply the public recognition that he believes God has called him to the office, that he meets at an acceptable level the, qual- the qualifications of that office, and he has the approval of the congregation who will be sitting under his ministry. This is what was the pattern uh, for those who I think probably the best way to think of the men in Acts chapter 6 is as prototypes for deacons. I don't think they were deacons as we would know them, but I think that a good way to think of them is the prototypes for this. Acts 6.6, when they had set before the apostles and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And this, by the way, is Timothy's own experience. We've already read 1 Timothy 4.14, Neglect not the gift that is in thee which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. So that there was a collection of elders, the, the Presbyterians, who had laid their hands on Timothy in symbolic approval of his taking the office of a minister of Jesus Christ. And so again, we could go back, we're not going to do that at this point in time, we could go back to 1 Timothy 3 and note that a man had to have a pretty proven track record of faithfulness, that he had to have some experience as a believer, that he was not to be a novice, Um, that he had to have enough experience to have withstood enough tests as to be reliable, and deacons in particular are said to be proved, but it's Hard to imagine, folks, that God would expect a deacon to be put to the test, but not a pastor to be put to the test. So when it comes to this matter of the laying on of hands, of the public recognition of elders, Timothy is to move slowly. And and in fact, it is. Lay hands suddenly. Suddenly there is an adverb. It is modifying lay hands. How should you lay hands? Very slowly. Very slowly. Not quickly. Not in haste. And that brings us then to the remainder of the paragraph. Right? Why would Paul say that? If we have a church that is experiencing a leadership crisis, as we see in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 
and we have men in the pulpit who are teaching erroneous doctrine, why should we not be in a hurry to replace them? And, and we don't know. I mean, it just doesn't come up anywhere in the book that they weren't in a hurry to remove them. This is not the removal of those men. We're talking about the replacement of those men. And so what Paul then does is begin to walk through why it is dangerous to move quickly. Why do we not want to act hastily when it comes to this matter? And so Paul addresses it, first of all, negatively in verse number 22. Lay hands suddenly on no man. Neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep yourself pure. The idea here of being a partaker is the idea of having communion. Don't lay hands suddenly on anyone. Don't have communion with their sins. Keep yourself pure. So again we ask, what does the one have to do with the other? What does the one have to do with the other? Well, if in a rush to put a man in the office, a man whose sin might otherwise disqualify him from that office is overlooked, <clears throat> you have fallen into communion with that man. <clears throat> You have tainted yourself by endorsing him in his sinfulness. And, and I think I can, I think maybe I can help to explain that by moving away from the subject matter of ordaining elders. Let me talk about a different subject. The bane of every pastor's existence. Being asked to perform a marriage for somebody who's been divorced. Why are pastors universally reluctant to participate in the wedding of somebody who has been divorced? Because they are concerned that they are going to have communion with a wrong doing. They are afraid to participate in it. Right? If 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 there is the remotest chance that that second marriage is a sinful second marriage and that pastor with his eyes wide open stands there and puts his stamp of approval upon that union, what does it mean to him? I mean, he's not getting married. <clears throat> If somebody comes to me and, and says, I would like you to do the wedding and I've been married before, <clears throat> I'm not getting married again. It's not my marriage. But it is my involvement. And the reality, folks, <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, the longer I've been a pastor, the more sensitive I have become to that very issue in a lot of areas. Not a lot of areas but in some areas. 
I've become, I've become a little more inclined to ask, and I'm not talking about the subject matter of divorce, divorce people. I'm talking about two people that have never been married. I've learned to pose some questions because they're just situations in which I would rather that they not for the next 40 or 50 years have my name on their wedding license. I just, I just don't feel comfortable being involved. And this is grievous to say, but there have been more than a few diplomas that I have signed that I have thought, I just don't think this person is in any way, shape, or form going to live for Christ, and I wish that my name wasn't on this diploma. So I think that's what is driving Paul's explanation here. There is no way to separate yourself if you are the one publicly participating in the approval, if what you are approving is sinful. And if I may just jump ahead a little bit, I believe personally that is exactly why verse number 23 is put where it's put. Because this is what we're talking about. Being in communion with somebody else's sin. He addresses it furthermore in verse number 24 negatively. Or from not, not being negative, but from the negative stance. Timothy, be very careful in, in laying hands on somebody. Move slowly. Don't allow yourself to be caught up in their sinfulness. Primary consideration is not the ordination of the pastor, but of maintaining your pastoral integrity. Keep thyself pure. And then verse number 24, he returns to that. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going to judgment, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. We know that 1 Timothy 3 lays out the qualifications. Why are they there? And again, by the way, folks, unlike America, in which biblical qualifications frequently take second place to educational qualifications or prior pastoral success qualifications or the ability to throw a great vision for the future qualifications, What God is concerned about is the type of man who occupies the office. In a very real sense, to go off on a little bit of a track, tangent, folks, it is God's church. And, And he is more than capable of building it both numerically and spiritually to whatever he wishes. He doesn't need a particular type of personality to get that done. And it takes time to build character. My son and I have had this <clears throat> conversation a couple of times. It, it is something that was said. He, of course, works for <clears throat> a government agency. And, and he was in a meeting, just, just a meeting about you know, business and employment. And the other government representative who was conducting the seminar said, it takes 21 years to make a 21-year-old man. 
And you just, you don't build an adult overnight, folks. You just, you don't build an adult overnight. And the kind of attributes that God is seeking are not developed overnight. They're just not. Now they come more quickly for some men, but they don't come instantly to any man. And so Paul, going back to verse number 24, folks, I haven't lost sight of what we're doing here in verse number 24. This is the point that Paul is making. There are some men who sins. And when we hear the word sin, we're thinking about sin and transgression, and it could very well be that. But I'm not really sure that's what he's getting at because those kinds of sins would be obviously disqualifying. Some men's sins are right out in front of them. And this is kind of the imagery that Paul is using. If, if you can imagine a man walking, <clears throat> just a guy walking, he's, you, you just look out your window and he's walking down the sidewalk. Now there are some men whose sins are out in front of them. In other words, the first thing you notice is their failure. The first thing you see are their flaws. That's relatively simple, verse number 24. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment. But for others, their sins are bringing up the rear. They're not as visible, not as obvious. Sometimes the first thing you see is the flaw, and sometimes the first thing you see is the man. Now, all men have some flaws. That's, that's not where Paul is going. Remember some years back, one of our guys was telling me about a lady that he'd hired to work for him that didn't work out, and one of the comments that he made was, she looked good on paper. And there are all, probably a lot more of us that look good on paper than we do somewhere else. <clears throat> And this is part of the, re- the logic and the reasoning for moving slowly. Because the kind of things that are required, folks, in, verse, in chapter number 3 are the kind of things that it takes some time to find out if they exist. I mean, <clears throat> if we just, <clears throat> excuse me, if you just brought a guy in and said, do you rule your own house well? And he goes, sure, of course I do. The reality is that you you want to watch you you really need to watch him in action a little bit before you really know the answer to that question. Does he really rule his own house well? Are you apt to teach? Oh yes, I am. <clears throat> but let's know someone long enough to know if they're also inclined to fight, which I think is the, the counter there. Or if their inclination is <clears throat> to teach. Right, so Paul is walking Timothy through the logic behind moving slowly. 
which obviously I think, <clears throat> I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to get to this point, right, is appropriate for any church who is thinking about adding a pastor or replacing a pastor. Right? And sometimes, right, I'm not saying that this all necessarily needs to be eyewitness firsthand information, right? Timothy didn't have a lot of time in Ephesus. Timothy's reputation had been established elsewhere, but his credentials were solid. So I'm not saying that it has to be someone that, you, that, that we've personally known for 10 years or 5 years or 20 years. But it does have to be someone of whom somebody else can bear witness. Well, we watch them and we can testify to their worthiness of the office. So move slowly. Move slowly because you have some genuine skin in the game personally. And move slowly because it is the nature of human beings that it requires time to see what you have in a negative sense. And then in verse number 25, Paul deals with the same principle from a positive perspective. There's a flip side to this. It's not just all about there may be some flaw that you don't see right away. It may also be that there's some good that you don't see right away. And it would be a shame to pass up a really good guy because you didn't wait to find out what a good guy he really was. And that's verse number 25. The word likewise is taking the very same principle of verse number 24 and applying it to the good works. We have the sins in verse number 24. We have the good in verse number 25, and they're dealt with from the same perspective. Likewise, also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. They will show up eventually. Otherwise, it almost certainly means good that has been done or is being done that is not seen. Right, so again, I mean, Paul just really kind of uses this as a graphic. Here's, I mean, here's a guy walking along, and, and there are some men, and it's just right out in front that they are probably not the right person for this. And there are others that that comes along later. And there are some people, and it's obvious right at the front that they are for this. But there are others that perhaps you don't see this clearly, and you don't want to make the mistake of moving too quickly there either, and missing someone <clears throat> who is would be a good fit or a benefit to the church. So this is what Paul wants Timothy to do. Right? He sent Timothy there to deal with problems in the church. Paul Paul has right this this all the apostles have a unique relationship with New Testament churches in that they wield an authority that doesn't really come to the New Testament pastor. And so Paul would appoint elders and then he would designate men like Timothy and Titus whose task was to appoint elders. And I think on the basis of Acts 14, they appointed elders in conjunction with the congregation, but they were certainly functioning in the leadership role there. So Timothy 
this is part of your responsibility. This is part of what you're to be teaching the church at Ephesus. Teach them how to honor the pastor. Teach them how to correct a pastor. Teach them how to replace a pastor. Move slowly. Move cautiously. Which brings me then back to verse number 23. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake, and then off to firmities. Some people just say that that verse should not be there. That it doesn't fit with the overall flow of the argument that Paul is making. That there's nothing wrong with what Paul is saying. That probably belongs somewhere in the New Testament, but it doesn't belong there. But I would argue that that is both an insult to the idea of preservation and inspiration. That where does that leave us, folks, if we can't trust God to not only write exactly what he wanted to say, but to say it when and where he wanted to say it? And where does that leave me? To to sit in judgment on the word of God as an editor? I don't think so. Some people say that it belongs there, but it functions as kind of an afterthought. That Paul is writing this, and he's thinking about Timothy, and and it comes to mind that Timothy is prone to some evidently digestive ailments or any other kind of ailments, and that Paul just wants to remind him to drink wine and not just water. In other words, it really belongs where it's put, but it doesn't have anything to do with what Paul is talking about. And realistically, folks, that tends to be the way the verse gets treated, isn't it? We tend to come to 1 Timothy 5.23 most often when we're having a conversation about the use of alcohol. Can you, should you not, are you permitted, is it a liberty... Where does it fit? Well, let's look at 1 Timothy 5.23 as one of the verses. But I personally think that it belongs here in the framework, particularly of verse number 22. What's the problem in Ephesus? Failure of leadership. What does Paul want Timothy to do? He wants Timothy to teach sound doctrine and he wants Timothy to live sound doctrine. 1 Timothy 4.12 Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So Timothy is to be a teacher and Timothy is to be a template for how Christians ought to live. Now at this point, folks, whoever we are, right, we're, we're left drawing some reasonable inferences and conclusions. Timothy is obviously completely abstaining from the use of any kind of alcohol. That's not really an inference. That's pretty much the framework for verse number 23. But it is also evident that Paul knows that. 
Right? Remember, Paul is not with Timothy. Paul is somewhere else and he has sent Timothy. And Paul is aware that this is Timothy's position. And perhaps it has long been Timothy's position. Or perhaps it is a position that Timothy has embraced in light of what his responsibility is in Ephesus. That he has chosen to abstain from the use of alcohol. And I think the connection, folks, here's the reason. If, if I am completely wrong in what I am about to say next, I do not believe that I am wrong in this. Verse number 23 exists in the framework of verse number 22. Lay hand suddenly on no man. Be not partaker of another man's sins. Keep thyself pure. It is certainly apparent in Paul's mind that Timothy has abstained from the use of alcohol to the detriment of his health. And without getting all bogged down into the history of antiquity, I would just point out to you that there are still lots of places in the 21st century in this world where it is not safe for many people to drink the water. When my wife and I went to Egypt in 2008, they told us not even to brush our teeth with the water. Don't brush your teeth. Use bottled water to brush your teeth. Don't drink the water. So Timothy was obviously practicing abstention. And again, whether this is a lifelong habit, we don't know. Or whether this is something that Timothy has embraced in light of the ministry in Ephesus, we don't know. What we do know is that Paul is explaining to Timothy, at least in this immediate framework, that it is not necessary for him to exceed the biblical standard in order to fulfill the requirements of verse number 22. And I realize, folks, that this is for a number of people in fundamental churches, myself included, a rather delicate place to be. But if I could take you back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 for just a moment and refresh our memories on what the biblical requirements are. The biblical requirements. 1 Timothy 3.3 3, Not given to wine. Not given to wine. In 1 Timothy 3.8 Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued. Not given to much wine. And I don't think that we should try to find some great distinction between not given to wine and not given to much wine. Not characterized by an appetite for alcohol. That's the biblical standard. That is what is required biblically of a pastor. 
Now, again, how long this had gone on, we do not know. Whether this is a position that Timothy has embraced with reference to what is going on in Ephesus, we don't know. But what we do know is that Paul is pointing out to Timothy that he is not sinning by living to the biblical standard for the sake of his health. Now, this verse really doesn't help anybody who is looking for a place to hang their hat for the beverage use of alcohol because Paul could have pointed out to Timothy that it was no sin for him to go out and have a beer with the guys after church. That is not the position that he drew. He is not encouraging Timothy to engage in the beverage. That's, that's the way we define the debate these days, in the beverage use of alcohol. He's not saying that. He's saying the medical use of alcohol doesn't violate the standard. And I think, again, within the framework of the context, that for Timothy to participate in the medicinal use of alcohol does not bring him into communion with those who possibly, and this is another one of the things that we don't know, are violating, right? One of the sins that they might be committing is their excess use of alcohol. I would point out, folks, that that the Bible regulates but never absolutely prohibits the use of alcohol anywhere. And it really is until the mid 1800s in America that we begin to argue that it is a doctrine that it is sinful in its existence. And again, I always make the same statement. Anybody who would think that I'm seeking a pro-alcohol agenda, I'm not. I, I don't drink and I have no appetite for it. Don't, don't want it. Wouldn't, if, 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 the, if the text celebrated it, I wouldn't want it. I just so I, I have I don't have any of that agenda at it whatever. And but on the other hand, folks, neither is first Timothy five twenty three of much help to those who are teetotalers. And I know that our usual teetotaling position is, well, the medicinal use is okay, but I think we all understand that most of us are sensitive enough in our consciences that we're not really comfortable even with that. So that if I stood up and said to you, for the sake of my stomach, I have a glass of wine every night, there would be much discomfort. I'm not saying that. I, I don't do that. But I'm just saying, we can say, folks, I mean, let us be realistic. I'm not saying that all of us would be like that, but many of us would be like that. We would argue that it is a theoretical allowance, but in practice, we're just awfully uncomfortable with it. And I would put myself in that world. I'm not exempting myself from that position. Paul's not encouraging Timothy to drink, again, for recreational use or beverage use. But I think he is pointing out that within the constraints of the biblical mandate, not given to it, to consume some for the sake of your health, does not put you in the position of being involved in the sins of those, if quite possibly those sins are the excess 
of alcohol. And we know that, that it's not, if it's not happening in Ephesus, we know that it's a reality, folks. And it's, it's not an accident that it is in Ephesians that we have the injunction, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Right? Bible verses aren't written in the absence of reality. They're written in the recognition that real people are doing real things. So I just think that what Paul is doing there in that is, is just providing Timothy, I think the Spirit of God is doing this, providing Timothy and, and the rest of us, right, with a framework for understanding that being a good example is living to the biblical standard, that there's not a requirement to go beyond the Bible standard for the sake of the Bible standard. Timothy, you get sick a lot. Some wine would help. Drink it. Stop just drinking water. It doesn't taint you with the sins of those other men. That you're not, you're not guilty there. You, you, haven't, you haven't sinned in that way. When, when God's standard is the standard of 1 Timothy 3.3 and 1 Timothy 3.9. So the big picture that is presented here is the caution that a church should exercise, right? And look, folks, right? And again, I, I'm, not, I'm doing this because I'm doing Timothy. I'm not doing this for any other agenda. Right? But, but we are rapidly approaching the day when there will be another pastor, whether he completely replaces me or whether he comes alongside it is not a requirement that we make the man join the church and serve for a period of years so we can get to know him. But it is a responsibility right, upon the church to take whatever steps are necessary and to expend whatever energy is necessary to ensure that the man is living a consistent Christian life and that we are pursuing both the positive and aware of the potential negatives that might be attached to the man. And that we don't act in such great haste that we just go, well, we just got to hurry up and get this done. Because that is specifically the thing that Paul is prohibiting. is that we've got to hurry up and get this done kind of mentality. So with that, I'm going to stop there. This evening, caution in appointing elders. You might miss something good. You might miss something that you wish you'd caught. And you might get yourself tainted in the process. Be careful about that. Let's pray. Father, for whatever you have for us at Westwood Heights, or whatever other ministries, these your people are part of in their lives. May they always have ministers who are desiring to be faithful to you and serve you and to teach the word of God faithfully. We pray your help to this end in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, just a couple of announcements.